0: Well, This Isn't Normal, a podcast about dealing with all of this. I'm really glad you're here. Today I'm talking to Connor Habib, a friend of mine who I met through the internet we share a friend in common, Sovereign Sire, who is an adult film star and Connor is slash was an adult film star who has gone in another direction of the many directions he's he's gone in career-wise in his life. And you'll hear us get into that. Really neat person currently studying for his doctoral degree in anthropology in Dublin, Ireland, but we got to know each other here in Los Angeles, California. And uh, thank you so much for being here during Truly a wild time, truly a difficult time for our country, a time of of racial unrest and demonstrations in the wake of response to the murder of George Floyd by police officers, one in particular, and three, I believe, who stood by in the city of Minneapolis. And it is a really special time and a scary time And an important time to talk about Black Lives Matter, to talk about a whole host of other issues. Connor and I recorded this a few days ago. And obviously by the time you hear this, things will have changed and evolved even further. But just know that we were recording As protests started to pick up steam around the United States a little bit earlier than when you're listening. If you're listening the day it comes out, it should come out on June 3rd, 2020. If it's June 4th, hey. It's been a week. It's been a month. It's been a year. Thanks for being here. If you want to support the podcast, it's patreon.com slash sarahbenincasa. And I'll talk to you. After I talked to Connor. Well, everybody, I am here with my friend, Connor Habib, coming at you live from Ireland. I'm so excited to get to talk to you and and to get to see your face, my friend. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you. Um, I sent you a photo a while ago. I don't know if you remember, but I passed a place called Benin Casa (laughs) here. Do you remember? Yes, yes yeah. which
0: is wild because uh, as I think you probably know, my real surname is Donnelly, but my mother's maiden name is Benincasa. So uh-huh. you're in a place, I actually passed it on to my family. So I was like, look at this. My friend Connor is at, that. this is like the center, this is some sort of a wormhole because <laughs> this is where, you know, when, when my parents were growing up in, in a, a tiny town in uh, New Jersey, believe it or not, in this tiny Catholic town, it was mostly Catholics. It was actually a uh, kind of a big deal, not in a, you know, it wasn't, it was not a, a, a Jets and the Sharks experience, but it was kind of a big deal for an Irish guy and an Italian girl to get together. Like, that was a little different in this tiny, tiny one square mile town. And I was mm. like, well, well, well. <laughs> the Benengasas have invaded Ireland in various ways, haven't they, Mom? Uh,
1: <laughs> once mortal enemies, now yeah. <laughs> the creator of Hollywood witches.
0: It's really true. I'm wearing uh, a red brassiere, a red, <laughs> uh, you know, no underpants, a red robe, um I uh, yes, just, you've
1: made that quite clear, Sarah.
0: Thank you. No underpants. No underpants. Repeatedly, I've been texting a few friends, <laughs> like a like a weird mom, where I'm like, "Are mm. you, you gonna wear your masks at the protest? I want you to wear a generic color."
1: Sorry, don't, don't my vagina a- is sky clad.
0: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> my vagina is sky clad, but I want the rest of you to be safer. So please wear. You know, like, what a time. What a, Somebody asked me, um, I said to another friend that, uh, and this is something we'll, you know, obviously I want to get into with you because you are, I'm going to name the things. for. I'm going to interrupt my anecdote and name the things that I think, labels yeah. I think you may have been able to wear at some point professionally. And then you tell me if they're correct or not. Okay. Uh, uh, labor organizer.
1: Okay. Sex workers' rights. Uh, activist, but Se- yes, sex or- workers' or- rights activist. I've done organizing in that capacity, yes.
0: Sex workers' rights activist, sex worker,
1: yes. Star, <laughs> star, yeah, foreign star. It's porn star, poet. Um, I have written and read poetry, but I don't write poetry no. that much. But yes, okay, yes, and I've published some poetry, so yes. Once I'm more and of a future
0: poet. poet. Yeah. Um, it, I feel like poets are eternally poets, even if they're not. I, I'm like, for example, if if you've ever devoted some amount of your life and times to writing poetry beyond your high school notebook, which is I want to validate the kids who are listening. Keep fucking hmm. writing that poetry. But, you know, that's, you do have the soul of a poet. The face and body of a porn star, what a nightmare, <laughs> and the, the brain of a radical labor activist. And I just described the ideal person. <laughs> like, literally, I just described the ideal
1: person. Thank you. I enjoy being that.
0: I just spilled espresso on
1: myself because I got so excited, but it's cold, don't worry. Um, you take take the ideal down a notch by saying podcaster.
0: <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> He's also, but ladies, gentlemen, get ready. He's also a podcaster. <laughs> um, scholar. Would you say scholar? I mean, you are in a, what, tell me about the program that you're in right now. The that, that yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: Ireland. You're not just there as a tourist. No, I'm getting a PhD. Um, I'm studying... Uh, Well, this may derail your list if we start talking about this, but um, I'm studying, uh, because there's so many more things to list about me, Uh, I'm studying uh, supernatural encounters here in Ireland and the ways that they uh, affect people's lives. um, You're
0: my ideal person! (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even know that was the focus of your research, and Uh now I'm really just (laughs) surfing uh Niagara Falls of uh <laughs> I'm referring to vaginal fluid everybody. Uh, I I yes. just You've fyi just quite clear. Does well. anybody want to know about vaginal fluid? That's so fucking cool. And and Thank you. So one thing that uh, I, I recall from this is a while ago for me but so when I was in I got my masters in teaching many years ago and and I haven't taught in a classroom in a long time but I remember that we did some readings not deep research but some readings about because we were in New York City and um, we were being trained to be New York City public school teachers and so we were from diverse backgrounds as as students as as um, graduate students but also we were we were looking at an incredibly diverse student population so in one of my classes and I don't remember which one it was we were looking at um ways of experiencing mourning and how they can change culturally, not just funeral practices and memorial practices and how we bury or or burn or set our dead out um, to be eaten by birds, but how we experience the feelings and the emotions of of mourning and of grief. And the context was so that we could potentially be of greater service or more thoughtful in listening to our students who are going through grieving or their parents and, and grandparents because a lot of our students were being raised by not a lot, but a significant amount of our students were being raised by someone other than the biological parents, sometimes a grandparent in a multi-generational household. All of that is just to say that we got into ghosts. <laughs> we uh-huh. got into we got into ghosts and what is what is a ghost? And what does ghost mean? Because what ghost means to me is somebody who was raised in the Northeast, and I know you were as well, in an area uh, pretty rife with revolutionary war sites and uh-huh. George Washington slept here, cabins and such. What a ghost means in that context is not necessarily the connotation that everyone has with a spirit that's left us. So that's just a roundabout way of saying, holy fuck, that is awesome. <laughs> are, are you doing are you doing oral histories or are you like, how are you going about research?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, basically I just talk with people. I haven't gotten into the main, um, aspect of my field work yet, which will, so I'm still sort of formulating that. Um, a lot of that a lot of what I would do would be spending long periods of time with the same groups of people, hanging out with them, talking with them, doing what they do. So if for instance, I were going to be with paranormal investigators, um, I would go on like ghost hunting mission with them or whatever and learn from doing and also speaking to them. But, um, a lot of that has been sort of postponed and made uncertain by social distancing stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, even some of the places that issue grants for the kind of research I do, they're like, no grants this year, sorry, because you can't do field work. So um, it's been a little confusing. I've had to sort of reroute all my thoughts on it and how I'm going to do it. But, But, you know, I mean, basically what it will entail as time goes on aside from me just reading tons and tons of books and talking to taxi drivers and all that kind of stuff, is talking with people who have had supernatural experiences that have shattered their sense of how reality works or messed with the material conditions of their lives in one way or another or hurt them, harm them. Um, so there are lots of different versions of that. You know. So for instance, there's a house not too far from where I live that is known to be haunted and the people have been trying to sell it for really long time and they can't. Mm -hmm. Right. So like that's one of the ways, a simple way in which it affects people's lives. But then, you know, here, because it's Ireland, there's just so much fairy stuff as well. So fairies really play into the cultural psyche in a huge way. And lots of people still have fairy encounters. So some of it will be ghosts, some of it will be fairies. But for me, the important thing is that it's, um, it's like an entity. So it's not just like, you know, a psychic experience or, you know, um, maybe Mm. you heard something or, you know, whatever. It's it's when people encounter like a being, that's what I'm really interested in.
0: So this is different from the experience of simply i'm putting simply in quotes because this is an extra an extraordinary experience different from the experience of precognition or it's it's not um Uh it's not having the sight or the shining this is encountering an actual these are people who believe or feel and in their lived experience this is true to them whether or not i as an outsider judge it as real as delusion, as illusion, as dream, as imagination, whatever. Divorcing it from anyone's outside judgment of what that is. For this person, their lived experience and their very real memory now is of having encountered a being of some kind.
1: Right, exactly. And, you know, the, the thing is, like, so there are two parts to it, really. And one is, like... If you're on the outside, whether you believe in it or not, you can see that this person's life has changed as a result of that encounter, right? Like they can't Mm -hmm. sell their house or uh, they've been institutionalized or, um, you know, uh, there are women who say that they've been raped by uh, entities, Right. That's a really intense one because that's like <laughs> what we say, believe the victims. And yet like most people don't believe that the perpetrator exists. So that right. reveals all kinds of things about the subjective interactive nature of assault, um, which is really an intense thing to think about. Um, so that's one aspect. It's like, how do you look upon people that are saying this messed with my life? Right. And then the second part is like, How do those people reassemble or assemble their idea of how reality works based Mm. on what happened? Because you know some people they encounter something and they're just like I'm just going to put that in this little box here and just never think about it again or you know oh yeah wasn't that weird I saw a UFO or you know whatever It's a it was.
0: it's a coping mechanism uh right. to be sure people also do that with non extraordinary encounters right? right they do it with totally. very real uh very real monsters and and sad experiences or witnessing things that we would hope they would speak up about uh right. just Putting it in a box, that's no. Well, I mean, when I lived in New Mexico, and this is sort of getting back to more of what you're talking about. When I lived in New Mexico, I knew, which was just for a year, I knew a lot of educators, um, people with a science background, people with social work background, people with different backgrounds, different levels of education, whatever. It didn't matter. Mm, there was no group that was more likely to tell me that they had had an alien encounter or had a cousin who did. And everybody had a cousin who did. And very uh-huh, few uh-huh. people, very few people when I was working in, in New Mexico would like then follow it up and be like, but, you know, he is mentally ill or something. There were just right. it was like, yeah, that was it. Would, these stories were very common uh-huh. and it wasn't freaky they were just like, yeah, you know, they changed after, or yeah, I saw some lights and you never know.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting. Like that is, you know, the, the sort of popular imagination around UFOs in the U S and I'm not really studying UFOs except in as much as they'll come up, but I'm not really looking for things that have a kind of hyper science feel Mm. to them, but the, but the people's Imagination of UFO abductions and encounters in the U.S. is always like some redneck who's driving their truck home and whatever. But actually, like there's been a ton of sociological um, data gathered, and it crosses all like all Mm -hmm. identity boundaries. Um, And in fact, if anything, it's people who are quote unquote more educated um, who end up seeing them. So that's interesting. Yeah,
0: no, it's absolutely true. And these were people who were. Um, you know, primarily in the area where I lived in New Mexico, um, it was people who were uh, white, presenting of Latinx background, specifically of, of Mexican American background. It was people who were um, of darker skin, uh, Mexican background. You know, people who were, may have had claim in that area to, you know, they may have said, I'm Mexican. But the way that they presented and the way they were treated by, and mm-hmm. of course, I'm thinking of this right now, treated by um, police officers and treated at the immigration checkpoints that we had in New Mexico was very different. Those stories varied. But the common in mm. New Mexico is interesting because when I was there, um, they a few different people said to me within the first week, I, could, I felt like this was a speech that, that a lot of people gave outsiders. They were like, well, you know, in New Mexico, you're one of three things you're white or you're Anglo, which reminded me of the Amish and how they call people the English who aren't Mm. Amish. Um, But uh, you're Anglo, you're Mexican or you're Indian. And I was like, "Uh, well, I guess I know which one I am. (laughs) And and so that was very into that terminology was so interesting because I don't really, again, the Amish were the only other place in the United States where I had heard something (laughs) reminiscent of Anglo. But anyway, um, So I had people and and there were some pretty like clear, in some cases, class differences that correlated with with those different um, those different delineations. But regardless of how they folks would class themselves or be classed by others or termed or what have you. The the alien shit had nothing to do with that. It wasn't uh-huh. like, well, I only hear it from Anglos, or I only hear it from the my Anglo students who are living in trailer parks and their moms are in jail for cooking meth. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. It was yeah. across the board, and it wasn't everybody. It was a small sample size probably in relation to the, like, actual... It was a small size of people or amount of people in relation to all the people I met in New Mexico, but it was a diverse group,
1: right yeah yeah do you totally. find that in in
0: in ireland as well i mean obviously it's a more homogenous and
1: if we're looking at race it's more homogenous yeah right? i mean i don't i don't know yet you know like i'm i'm kind of loath to say um i mean the thing that i would say is that here in dublin where i live um there's definitely more of a <laughs> like uh from, from what i've gathered so far it's like I don't believe in fairies, but don't fuck with the fairies. You know, (laughs) it's like, it's like that kind of attitude. Um, And so whereas in some more rural areas and coastal areas outside of Dublin that aren't cities like Cork or whatever, there's definitely more of a like, don't fuck with fairies. Like it doesn't come with the rejoin and that doesn't necessarily mean that people quote unquote believe in them it just means that one takes precedent over the other you know what i mean mm. so but that's really cursory you know or, or cursory is really like yeah the cursory like glance at the conversations that i've had so far and preliminary you know and so like when i start really doing more of the research that's not just books and all that kind of stuff it, you know we'll see what happens
0: this is so exciting and I, I love it. I mean, oh, what a perfect topic for, well, this isn't normal because it's the whole point of, of this podcast is to, yeah. first of all, question what, what normal means and sort of interrogate that for each individual who uh-huh. feels like doing it on the show. But it's also, you know, to talk about how we, how we deal with what happens to us and for a lot of people, what happens mm-hmm. to us brings up anxiety and brings up uncertainty and brings up fear. Um, And so we do tend to get into that. But the reason I love having these conversations is that they end up, you know, I never know where they're going to (laughs) go. I never know where they're going to go because each person is so, each individual's experience is so different and so special and so intriguing. Mm. And it does make me wonder, I'm curious and I know you don't know yet because you haven't gotten into the bulk of this research yet, but I will be curious to to hear and, t- like, to what extent do these spectral, not necessarily spectral, but these 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 paranormal experiences, these these otherworldly interactions, create or provoke anxiety in people mm. or fear versus maybe a sense of peace or a sense of some in some people, I think they probably help them heal.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are definitely, so there's, there was at least, uh, I'm not sure how it's going anymore, but there's a community of people across the island, but um, mainly located in um, the north, so not Northern Ireland, but the north of the Republic, um, that you know, they were fairy faith people. Mm-hmm. So they you know accepted that they were either reincarnated fairies or changelings themselves or that they had some deep connection to the fairy beings and so I'm not exactly sure where all that is right now um some people had done some research and some of those people themselves had written books um and so that's really interesting to me and of and 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 in that case there really is uh, deep spiritual engagement that I don't know that comfort would be the word, but mm. it's certainly fulfilling and meaningful and all that sort of stuff, you know? Um, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, it's funny. It's like, you, you know, like not so long ago here, maybe, gosh, I don't know. Is it 15 years ago now, but not so long ago. I mean, there's this million multi-million euro like roads project that had to reroute itself because there was like a little tree that was a fairy you know the it had it was like a gathering place for spiritual beings and the people were like nope and so the government was like okay i guess we can't cut that tree down
0: that makes me think about nor my friends in norway who were like yeah yeah they're like no seriously because i was at when i've been over there i've gone to do comedy or storytelling i've been like so is this this is what this is what I heard but it's this is Americans talking about so who knows and they're all like no we literally have people in our country whose job is to figure that shit out like are the (laughs) gnomes gonna fuck with us can we put a road there and I was like that's great because a lot of times it's it's connected to it ends up being um connected to perhaps not in this name exactly but uh environmental preservation because Mm -hmm. what ends up happening is that a a grove of or a stand of trees gets to stay or some sort of um you know water air water feature water element is protected as a result and that has other positive Mm -hmm. repercussions beyond just okay we didn't fuck with the fairies
1: yeah yeah i mean and there are migratory they're called migratory stories or migratory legends between Ireland and Norway, for sure, about some of these beings. And also, you know, in the Faroe Islands and, you know, and, and the UK to some extent as well. And so um, you will hear overlapping stories, but one of the things that you hear is that the, these elemental beings are not so happy around electricity or electromagnetic uh energy and so they started to recede with the mass introduction of uh electromagnetic energy and um started to hide um because Mm -hmm. they couldn't in some ways kind of bear it and so there is kind of there's that aspect too so it's like we could take it as there's environmental preservation stuff coming on or we can also take it as like well, the fairies just don't like the conditions that are being presented and they're going to hide, you know, and like, we, we don't want, because in the electromagnetic stuff, there's counter beans that crowd the fairies out. So Ooh. it's this whole complex. That's <laughs> so that's cool. This, yeah, yeah.
0: Is Is your job in this sense, or do you envision your job in this sense, When in theory, and I believe that you will get to do this work, although it's on pause right now, um, when you're spending, say, you know, a few months or a few weeks or what have you with a family or with a group or in a village, talking to people, listening to people, gathering stories, recording, what have you. do you Do you see your job as requiring you to say, I believe you? Or is it Mm. simply to listen?
1: Well, I mean, let me start by saying I do believe them. Like, I do believe uh, I also experience, um, you know, supernatural realities. (laughs) So, um, I mean, that's my starting point. But that doesn't necessarily mean I believe every claim that's made right? Like Mm -hmm. there could be some people just making shit up. There are people hallucinating. There are things that could be explained by their means, all that kind of stuff. So even though there is in my understanding and experience of things, uh, room for the existence of these beings and encounters, like as what we say is ontologically real, like that, that it's really real. Basically. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, i wouldn't necessarily take every claim as true anyway right so um i think but um you know my job is to, my job will be to listen for sure and 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 respect you know the experience so even if somebody is like obviously lying to me you know what i mean like if
0: they're winding you up to fuck with you or something like that
1: right but the see these things are tricky by the way there's a really great book it's an amazing book. It's called Jeff G E F apostrophe about uh, a talking demonic mongoose that lived on the Isle of man. And it's this, it's a, it's incredible that just like, plagued this family for years and it's this huge case file basically of this one paranormal thing and all the things that Jeff said and like it just seemed it's 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 such a great book everybody should read it's so fun too and uh I wish I remember the author's name he's a great writer um but it has all these photos and all that, but like some of it seems completely true and some of it seems completely made up. Mm -hmm. And that's these, these experiences have that kind of tricky nature sometimes where you can't sort of move from one side to the other. Right. But so sometimes even in the same person, you'll find things that seem obviously false and things that seem obviously true. So there's that trickiness of it, but there's also, you know, like, let's say I find something that just is completely false Right. And there's no redeeming true aspect of it or whatever, you know, Um, I would still be considering why this expression of that falsehood had meaning for the person. You know, what, what was valuable about you telling me this story? Like, why, why did, what did you want me to know? You know, and so it is not necessarily without judgment. I mean, we judge everything. And the idea that I'm just going to objectively sit there and not be annoyed that somebody's lying to me, obviously, or that I'm not going to, like, be laughing inwardly or concerned about their safety or <laughs> whatever, like, all those things could come up. But it will just be, you know, but it, that's all part of it you know, Mm. like, and my response is part of it as well. It's like, I've got to track my response and be like, this is how I reacted, you know? So you keep all those things sort of in check at once.
0: What drew you to this work? I mean, what has gotten (laughs) you to, I know it's, it's, it's hard to say because it's a lifetime. I mean, we are 25 years old. We've lived a lot, but (laughs) you know, I, I feel like when, okay. So, so if somebody were looking at, at what I do, right. Um, which is that my day job is working at a nonprofit in digital marketing and that I also write books. I write essays. I try to sell scripts, things like that. I can, I I think somebody could look at at that and go, okay, she studied, she was a writer in high school. Mm. She studied creative writing in college. She got her master's degree in teaching. She did that for a little while. She went into media and comedy. It makes there's a kind of a clear through line, even though there were some deviations, right? Sarah was always going to be a writer in some way if she could. Mm. For you, you've done so many different <laughs> things. Yeah. That and, and they're all interesting. Do you feel like there's a through line that connects all of the different things? things or is it just like hey man i'm on this planet maybe once i like to have adventures yeah yeah i mean it's
1: in some ways it's neither of those things i would say because like like of course i like i appreciate the second version like i'm just gonna live life to its fullest but then you get this kind of like james franco vacation of it where it's like <laughs> i'm gonna write short stories and make a movie and i'm gonna you know and it's imagine like
0: imagine if that were his accent
1: <laughs> that, that actually is his real voice he's really good at covering that up um (laughs) spring break motherfuckers uh he really had to rein that in (laughs) Uh, but but i but like i view it more as like these like i'm the through line that these interests meet in do you know Mm. what i mean so like it's been a real problem in some ways like it was a big problem when i lived in la because like you're trying to there you're constantly trying to market yourself, right? You're tr- constantly trying to be like, I just had a call the other day, like some some production company in the US was like, maybe we could do a TV show with you. And I was like, good luck. You know, I was like, it's not like, there are not many like porn star, philosopher, academic, novelist, ac- activists, whatever the fuck, you know, like go on and on and on, right? Yeah. And um And it becomes really hard to sort of present yourself in like a way that sort of sums things up. So on the one hand, like, no, there's not really a through line on the other hand. Like, I think I just, um, I, I, I pursue like, if there's an aspect of me that I think is worth pursuing, like I pursue it, you know, and, Mm. and, and I think that there's something useful. Like maybe if there's a through line it's sort of like, I, kick myself out of every community i'm in intentionally it's like i was you know studying literature and in grad school. And then I also decided to study science and then I was studying science, but I was also a very spirit, then became a very spiritual person. I was a very spiritual person, but then I became a porn star, you know, and then like all that starts to sort of like come back full cycle again, you know, it's just like, keep kicking yourself out of these communities. And what happens then is you become a bridge between them, which is mm. I think very useful for people, which is very like now, like Brooklyn hipsters <laughs> can, feel like they can talk about spirituality when they talk to me because they know that I've betrayed it in a sense by doing porn and people that are into like porn or like sex work, they can listen to me talk about Christian esotericism because they'll trust me, you know, in that way. And do you you know what I mean? It's like I I can create a lot of different conversations with people and I really appreciate that role. So if there's a through line, it's kind of like, like a lot of bridges, you know?
0: Has there ever been a point at which you felt that you kicked yourself out of a community before
1: they could kick you out? <laughs> um, like you mean I did it because I saw that the the end was sort of coming, and I was like, I better get out of here. Is that what you mean?
0: Yeah. And to an extent, that's me projecting as well, (laughs) thinking about times in my life when I've been like, well, first of all, for years with relationships with Mm. men, I was like, I was like, ooh, this isn't going great. I'm out first. And also, there were times in in career choices I made where I was like, "I could see this starting to go south real soon. I'm going to do something else." So mm-hmm. that's to 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 be fully transparent. That's to an extent me projecting that, but also genuine yeah. curiosity. Because if we say if we say um, I'm out, then people can miss us rather than uh-huh. waiting <laughs> for them uh-huh. to go. Uh-huh. I'm kind of over you. <laughs>
1: Right. There can be, like, a punishing thing about it, like, for others. And, I, like, I, that's something I try to keep in check, which is, like, well, I, like, you know, like, I will revoke my presence and then you'll want me around.
0: You know, like <laughs> like you know. the avoidant attachment
1: style, but with career. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exact, exactly. So, but But, yeah, I mean, I... I guess so. I mean, I think more for me, like, I kind of miss things that, you know, um, I have to have sort of a reckoning with where I'm like, I just don't have the time to do that. You know, Mm. like, there's definitely, like, I would love to keep doing porn, you know, in a lot of ways, and I still think about it. But I also am just like, that was, like, I've got other things to focus on that really mean something to me. And I just don't have the inner... Uh, ability to focus on this many things at once, and it's not because I don't think you could. I mean, when I was doing porn, I was still writing essays and articles and stuff, um, and I was doing activism, and I was running this spiritual group at my uh, apartment in San Francisco. And but like, it's sort of what gets the center stage, you know, mm-hmm. and the kind of dedication it gets, and the um, fidelity that you lend to it. And so I just, I didn't. You know, so I miss things, but I also recognize it's like when you're reading a book and you're like 30 pages in, and then you look at your shelf and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to read that book too. And you're like, no, you can finish this one. I mean, you can read 10 at the time if you want, but those are different styles. I mean, you just get different things from trying to juggle or trying to just really focus on one thing in center stage. And I'm not, I'm still doing 20 things at once. It's just that. (laughs) (laughs) sort of moving around
0: yeah I I relate to you in that way like the idea I think that you and I are both the type of individual who gets would get very bored if somebody said this is your this Uh is your thing and this is what you do now and this is your sole area of focus
1: right yeah and I hope that like gives people hope right it's like you don't have to be you know like I'm my thing you know and I realize that there's a sort of Either confidence or narcissism, or both, in that. But um, I think that you know, you know, pursue the things that you want, and also know that there are times and turns for them, and that just because you're doing one now doesn't mean that you can't do one later. Like, like, chill out. You'll get to all of it if you want to. You know,
0: Mm -hmm. we could be paralyzed by all of the different choices. There's a. I'm thinking of. I think I'm thinking of the Eight of Cups in tarot. Um, I think that's the one that I'm thinking of, maybe it's the seven, but where you you see all these different options mm-hmm. open to someone, and there are, it's all these different, you know, in, in the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, it's all these different, um, and I know you know this because you, you've done tarot, but for folks who aren't into... <laughs> Divination through cards. um the the imagery is really powerful to me because it's a series of cups, and it's somebody looking at them. and there are certain things in each cup, and you don't know what is in each, what's happening, blah, blah blah. And um it r- reminds me of the fact that not only can we be overwhelmed by options if we're fortunate enough to have options, but also, the reality that there are some better choices for us than others. And, and so sometimes one can be scared and just kind of tread water for a while, thinking, well, I could, um, in, th- in theory, I could enter the military. I could go to school to be a nurse. I could become a teacher. I could uh, do all my, spend all my time trying to find a spouse who will subsidize my existence, I could enter a nunnery. I Like you could come up with a million different things. And if you're somebody with a diversity of interests and perhaps a lot of fear, Mm -hmm. it can be overwhelming. And that's true for somebody who simply has a lot of interests and very little fear about it. Like it it can just, it can be, it can be a lot. It can be a privilege um, or, and it can also be really scary.
1: Yeah, I mean, what I find more and more is, like, that people actually just don't, like, know what they want at all. Mm. Like, I've been finding that sort of on the rise when I talk to people, you know, where they're just like, I don't know, I don't really know what I want, you know, and um, I think that, but what you're talking about is part of it because they think that they can't want more than one thing or, you know, um, so, yeah. Um.
0: Tell me about your podcast. Tell us, tell us, the Well This Isn't Normal listening audience, about your podcast.
1: <laughs> so um, I started my podcast Against Everyone with Connor and in 2017 now. Well, wow, it's been a while. Um, and uh, it's going great. Uh, it's uh, I'm so happy with where it went. And I, I started it because I was on tons of podcasts. And I often found like when we were getting somewhere deep and interesting, like we would just sort of switch gears and, you know, this, it wasn't always true. There were some podcasters that really got it. So like um Duncan Trussell was a huge inspiration to me. Um, and, you know, I've been on his show now like five times, but like I saw what he was doing. And I also saw that like, when you listen to a good podcast, um, a lot of times it's not about the guest, it's about the host. Mm. (laughs) So that also suited me because I I would hear him, particularly his his earlier episodes with Natasha Leggero when they were together, but then as he sort of moved on, like I would hear him growing, you know, every episode. And that is the journey that you want to go on as well, as well as having these new people, these new figures in your life um, Mm. through a podcast. And, I basically, I was just sick of small talk, you know, and I wanted to do something that was big talk, you know, so to talk about really complex ideas. So that's why I say at the beginning of every show, it's like complex philosophical, spiritual, and political ideas, but in an engaging and accessible way. So it's always broken down into plain language. And I always have people that are slightly weird, you know, the most normal person I've had on probably is Pete Holmes. You know, um, he's weird. He he's, he's, has a show called You Made It Weird, right? Yeah, so he's like, weird. Yeah. And so, um, <clears throat> but, you know, uh, I've had other, you know, amazing people on Billy Bragg, the musician. Um, I've had Maggie Nelson, MacArthur, you know, award winning writer, Kelly Link, um, uh, Franco Bifabrardi, anarcho communist uh, theorist, a, a cultist. War zone journalists, you know, it's just all over the place. But the idea is not to talk with them like you just had a uh, an album come out. Tell me about the <laughs> album. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, you know the what I mean? Like it's it, yeah, it's not an interview. It's like we're gonna have a conversation, and we're gonna go really deep into who. You are to have been able to come up with this stuff, or, or to to you know, and and what that means to the world. And I'm going to tell you what I think about it too. So I talk as much as the guest, which seems to go over well. I, t- I was worried about that at first, but it well, seems it's to go over well. a
0: conversation, and also there, they uh, you become a character. I think when you host a podcast, you become a character, just mm-hmm. as when one writes a memoir, you become. When I you know teach writing once in a while, I'll say. You become your own character, but you are a character. They're not Uh going to get the totality of who you are from listening, even to listening to every episode of the podcast. They're not going to get to know every aspect of you because the presence of the microphone changes everybody. But they will hopefully get to know a lot of different aspects of you or as much as you're willing to share. And um, they can go on a journey of growth with you depending on how vulnerable you are willing to be and how engaged the audience is. And that's what usually keeps people coming back. Even Uh when somebody watches a particular nightly newscast, let's say, a lot of times it's because they appreciate whoever that anchor person or host is, whatever the tone is, whatever, that's, that's what they're coming back for because they grow to trust that individual and Audio is such an intimate medium because they're not looking at video. They could be looking at videos of 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 you uh, while they're doing it, but probably not. They're they're listening, and so they have to. They're co creating the experience, I think, with us. And I find mm-hmm. that I do that with podcasts as well. I'm co- I'm I'm imagining the host's facial expression when they ask a particular <laughs> question because I don't know it. So that requires me to mm-hmm. engage in that way.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. It's like. I've had podcasts that I really love that I've like yelled at, like when I'm like, why are you asking this? You know? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and that's the sign of a good podcast to me, not a bad one, you know? And um, I think also, you know, for me, like I really want to inspire people to have deeper conversations in their lives. So that's what the show is like a springboard for people to talk about things. Cause I want the world to be you know, I want want the world to be a better place, at least have different problems than the ones it has right now, you know? And so I think it's the idea is, can I get people moving towards having talks about really deep things? People really want to talk about stuff like that, like stuff that we're talking about now, to some extent, it's like, people reserve these questions for the space of being high, you know, stone they're stoner Mm, questions. Yeah. And I think that that's because we stigmatize them. You know, it's like, we, we don't allow questions like what is materiality? What is, you know, God, like what, why, how, how does reading work? What is music made of all that kind of stuff? Um, and I think, you know, I, I, those are the questions that we need to ask. I think that those questions are really urgent, like rather than being petty, like those are actually the most important things that we can ask. And even like things like direct political action, because I've had really, really intense political people on the show. It's like, Direct political action should unfurl from questions like that, not from some abstract, like, dumb idea. Like, we should really get down into these deep, deep questions and then kind of claw our way out if we have to, uh, to create a better world, yeah.
0: So I am wondering how it it feels for you as someone who is somebody who looks at deep questions, who is a... uh, Somebody who's engaged in thinking about how we organize our society and how we behave. Somebody who does think and speak in different ways about philosophy, about society, about politics, about different things of this nature. And as an American, how does it feel for you to be abroad for an extended period of time? Mm. Doing work there, engaged in culture there, but also still witnessing from afar things happening back at home.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I'm happy to be in Ireland.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy you're in Ireland. Oh my my my, my, uh, my friends from foreign lands, especially Canadians who are who are here in you know L.A. working as artists. Well, often quite a few of them I've spoken to about this lately. They're like, I don't know you know, I feel like maybe, maybe I should go home. What am I doing here? I could get free help. I'm like, get the fuck home. Get
1: that, what <laughs> right I out the, here.
0: I'll fucking come visit you once we're allowed. Like get the fuck, go fucking go to a place where if you fall down and skin your knee, you could go get
1: it bandaged. <laughs> it's, it's like, like you're shouting free. at Harry at the end of Harry and the Hendersons. Go
0: Oh, oh my God. I am John. Let's go. Thank you for that reference.
1: <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think like, um, <laughs> <laughs> is, and how
0: perfect for a canadian a two i just totally. feel they yeah, are t- sort of adorable sasquatches oh all of them all, all of them. them so sweet um
1: just the way they walk you know with those mm-hmm. arms swinging a
0: lumbering gait. every canadian you know i'm going to go on record i want this to be the pull quote from the episode uh, uh-huh. print it print it in all your newspapers every canadian lumbers like a sasquatch
1: Every Canadian except Justin Trudeau blurs up when you take a photo.
0: Yeah, he's the only one because of that. That jawline, they said, hey, that jawline, <laughs> so that hereditary wealth, and that hotness all came together. And they said, <laughs> he said, uh-uh, I'm going to show up in your photos.
1: Yeah, plus the um, satanic rituals he does by uh, disrespecting uh, Native people in Canada. It just brings him into full focus. It's a real
0: oil um, sands um, <laughs> aboriginal disrespect, uh-huh. inherited uh-huh. wealth, strong jawline, uh-huh. went to McGill. It all uh, comes together.
1: Mm, it all comes together <laughs> into focus. But all other Canadians, you can't actually capture them on film. No. Who even knows if they exist? Um, this, is, this is trippy. Are they ghosts? Are they fairies? Maybe. Well, I had Scott Thompson from the Kids in the Hall on my show, and he's a fairy. <laughs> I love him! And from he's Canada. so. so he is! Um, <laughs>
0: I opened for him in uh, when he did the buddy the buddy Cole uh, oh, in Toronto, which was like the easiest job I've ever had. You don't need to uh-huh. warm that crowd up. It's 450 people in a theater in Toronto, and Scott Thompson is going to come out and do Buddy Cole. Like, do you think I had to do an ounce of work? I don't. All I had to do was come <laughs> out and like scream at the audience. Like, can you believe this is happening? Uh-huh. And everybody was like.
1: Ah! It was great.
0: It's just like very diverse crowd of like... Uh literal teenagers to I believe people in their 80s and everyone in between just like filthy
1: weirdos screaming it was great (laughs) amazing that's the same thing you said when you came out of the womb yeah I did you believe (laughs) this is happening and then followed by screams
0: (laughs) and the nurses were like hundreds
1: of thousands of people Um,
0: (laughs) so uh uh what did you ask me oh well I I, I... first well before we established that Canadians are not
1: real okay yeah um, great
0: I guess for you as an expat, as you as a
1: thinker, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, an uncomfortable
0: right. conversation having expat. Yeah. What is the um, experience like? And not just tied to the fact that that we're living right now in this moment as we're recording in a week that will probably go on to months and months of protests over. Um, racist murders by cops, but that—that's—that's that's a very American experience, right? That didn't just happen yeah. for the first time this week, so it's not like right. I don't feel like you and right now we're living in unprecedented times. No, we're not. This has been going on and on. Uh, right. it, it is interesting. It's coming out of two months of quar, quar. That's different, but <laughs> other than that, but but, yeah. no, but in general, you know, you've you've been in Ireland for a minute, so in general, what is it like for you to experience?
1: yeah i mean it's interesting because this is always like i've wanted to live here my whole life so it feels like home to me in a way um that doesn't sort of put me in the kind of american abroad mode that i necessarily might have if i were somewhere else Mm. but i do think that there's like um like yeah looking uh, looking upon ireland from as an american and then looking upon you know uh the us i think one of the main things that i notice is just like what the options that we choose not to take in the us you know like mm. so for instance um <laughs> so uh i was at a cafe um and you know in in dublin and this guy like sort of peeks his head around the door and says to the barista, I'm not going to do an Irish accent, but he's like, he's like, Hey, do you mind if I water the flowers out here with, 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 with the water I've left in my bottle? And, and the barista's like, sure. And he goes, no sense wasting it. You know? And, he's like, <laughs> I and, and I was like, Oh my God, like this isn't the biggest city in the country, you know? And I was like that, you know, in the U S that would just be kind of shunned the person leaning in and, and saying that, or, or that, you know, um, I, I, got a, I, I parked the rental car that I had at a meter and the meter guy was coming up and I, I was like, oh shoot, I don't have any coins. I was like, Hey, I'm just going to go in and get some coins from the cafe. And he's like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. He's like, I'm not going to be back for an hour anyway. It doesn't matter. And I was like, okay. you know, like what?
0: Um, Yeah. That's so the first thing the first thing, first of all, the second thing you said is just, like, kind and chill. The first thing, that exchange, also kind, but it makes me think in the U.S., the response would be, uh, oh, no, it's okay. We actually water them uh, twice uh-huh. a day uh, at, at, at 10 a.m. and 7 p.m., and the owner will, like, get mad because they might rot uh-huh. otherwise. Like, that barkeep or wait staff would have had a bunch of instructions right. they were given.
1: Sorry, we have a private contract with Monsanto, and I don't want to get in trouble for using non-Terminator seed water on those plants. <laughs> uh,
0: Non-Terminator seed I
1: mean, water. <laughs> that is. But, 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 but yeah, like there just is a kind of, um, there's just a kind of hell of rules that exists in the U.S. that mm, is really yeah. becomes prominent when you move uh, somewhere else. And it's not that there are not rules and regulations here, but it's just very different. People pee in the park here in the daytime. Like, that's they just wild. Go pee. Like, it's, you know. Um, <laughs> I every- just remember doing
0: that in Central Park one time because I had to go uh, so bad and I was wearing a skirt with, with no uh, underpants on. There's a again. theme uh, to my life, which is no underpants. And so I just was like, fuck it. And I just kind of like peed. Nobody was around. And then, of course, some dudes emerged. And one of them just looked at me and goes, ha ha, that's nature, baby. And I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I just like waved. I was like, hello. <laughs>
1: I love that like Telly Savalas voice. I had some guy that had that voice once say to me that I was younger, I was much younger. But he came up to me. I was at Boston Pride, and he went, "Freddie Prinz Jr." And I'm (laughs) like, "What?" (laughs) And he goes, "You look just like Freddie Prinz Jr." The first
0: Uh, the first Pride I ever was at, and I haven't like done Pride uh, a lot uh, uh, because you know I don't know I'm a, a queer bi lady and and i don't like crowds and i'm homophobic and i hate gays um (laughs) i hate them very much all i do my mission is just to ruin the lives of lesbians and to put Mm. uh gays uh in jail so i don't really do pride also so many people but um i the first pride celebration i was at was inadvertently with my mom in in boston we stumbled upon pride and we were like this is fun And like, uh, just hung out, and we're like, it was right. Anyway, sorry, that's total diversion. Not that interesting. Just sharing what I I was doing in nineteen. That was just your
1: way of expressing that you hate gays by saying you went to Pride. Well, this got it out. This
0: podcast is about converting (laughs) gays through the power of Christ.
1: And now I love. Your vagina. Yay! I'm so happy. <laughs> Finally, no longer going to hell.
0: As um, an aside, let me just steal focus and make it about me. Do um, it. I have noticed a Go really... Go for it, Karen. Hi. <laughs> hi. My name's Karen. <laughs> I have noticed something really interesting that is totally about me, which is that in the past year of my life, you know, I don't know if you find this, but I find that I have a different... You know, I play differently in different demos as I get older, and it's very mm-hmm. interesting. I was I went through a phase in my middle to late 30s, which was like I was playing really well in this specific demo of men who were 10 to 15 years younger than me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Lately, the demo has been changing a little bit, and I have found in the past year of my life that... <laughs> A few people who I thought were simply homosexual cisgender men have been like, I would have sex with you. Like, this has happened a few times. Mm. Mm. And it's been very interesting. And I'm like, is it because I'm 39? Like, what is it? I don't know. I'm not asking you to answer. I'm just putting it out into the universe that Mm. everybody who's listening, you may think, oh, I can't get divorced from my terrible (laughs) husband or wife. Because Mm. no one else will ever love me. And that's not true. You should get single if you need to. It's a very healthy choice. And also, if you think that only one kind of person in a box is ever going to be interested in you, that is untrue. Sexuality is an adventure. And you might, in early middle age, find that a whole variety of other humans are into you that you're like, what? That's crazy. That sounds like an indie movie from 1998. Mm, mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's going to be your life, huh, party girl? Maybe.
1: <laughs> you might wake up one day and find that the Michigan protesters uh, outside the state house with their Confederate flags are mm-hmm. really, in fact, attracted to you. And you can oh, lead them away like the Pied Piper. You can. You and might then, wake up and mm-hmm. find... Suddenly, the koala demographic has really exploded. For they, your eucalyptus, they do
0: have an STI, typically and it's a chlamydia. Not their fault. Yeah, the poor yeah. thing. Oh, I feel so bad for them. I mean, and it's this is not listen. I know not, it's like it was. We're really not koala to... shaming. We're not koala shaming. <laughs> we all this. It's a numbers game. STIs are a numbers game. That's all it fucking is. So, also, let me just say this. If you are somebody, I have encountered this as well. If you are a human who has been monogamous for a long time and suddenly you're single or whatever, because core whore made you realize your marriage is a sham and your life is a lie, you need to wrap it up. Some of you old people get, some of the olds get very stressed. What they'll like, uh, what they'll be like, I have to, I haven't put, they haven't put a condom on a thing since you know the 80s, and it's like, mm. well, you know, now it's time karen now that you're in your 80s
1: it's now that you're in your 80s just just because you're in an old folks home because you don't know every like basically everybody every koala you've slept with has you're sleeping with every koala that they've slept with every koala
0: you fuck has (laughs) fucked a bunch of other koalas and that's who you fucked and sex can kill you
1: I just, yeah, I'm just like you're getting into that pouch, you know, that just that mm-hmm. that's that mucousy
0: Marsupial situation. Yeah. I just want to say, um It's, it's weird that,
1: that they have pouches. They have pouches, right? I don't know, but I just want to say, are my
0: if this was Jesus and Mero, they would be playing the problematic alarm right now. And I just want to say to everybody listening that you should <laughs> only have sex with a koala if you're 100% sure it's consensual. And they tell you <laughs> in your human language, they say, mate, I'm into it, mate. And if they don't say it, if they just give you a certain look, that doesn't mean they Mm, consent. mm -mm. You need to hear it in your human language from them.
1: It's hard to tell because they're very demure. You know, like every picture I've ever seen of a koala, it's looking over its shoulder. Yeah. It's like holding the tree and like looking over its shoulder.
0: With eyelashes. I feel like they always, there's like a significant lash. This is why Australians are uh, some of my favorite people. The weirdest people. The weirdest, funniest Uh people. Like what Uh are... They come out with some stuff. Let's just broadly general... Look, we, we've we been having a deep, nuanced, and lovely conversation. Let's make it broad generalizations. Australians, okay, go
1: for it. Yeah.
0: Australians, fun, a little bit scary when they're mad, but they don't
1: get mad that much. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. I don't see them getting... I don't see them getting angry, but that's because I don't live in Australia.
0: I feel right? like and they, I'm
1: not around yeah. Australians that much. I used to go to Coffee Plus Food a lot, which was that um, do you know what I'm talking about? In Larchmont in LA. Ooh. So I live right around the corner from this place called Coffee Plus Food, which used to be owned by Australian, well, co-owned by an Australian. And they had this thing there called fairy bread.
0: Yes, I just learned about that this year. I I listen, this has come up so far on this podcast. <laughs> This has come up on this podcast with uh, Australian-American actress, Korean-Australian-American actress. She speaks three languages, Korean, Australian, and American. Alicia (laughs) Hanna, one of my best friends, fairy bread, we discussed. Then with Australian-American, speaks two languages, Australian and American, maybe other stuff, I don't know, singer-songwriter Ben Lee. Um, And now with you, he's so wonderful.
1: And now, Um, such a fan. I've been a fan like since he was like on Grand Royale, the Beastie Boys. Yes, he
0: was. Which is so funny because he's married to Ione Sky. Oh really? Yeah, he put up a photo the other day where he was like my ex-wife's ex-husband helping me on stage when I was 15. Oh that's so <laughs> and cute. I was like, I was like, yeah, Ben, that's just such a typical story. Everybody uh, that <laughs> cliche that old cliche. But um, yeah, he yeah, they they are hitched and they have a lovely uh, daughter. And sometimes he and Goldie have been hosting variety shows in quarantine because uh. they're like bored as hell. And they, you know, other people pop in. But yeah, what a lovely um Thoughtful and fucking funny person. And he told me, because I was like, listen, Bentley, I ordered, I have ordered fairy bread from an Australian cafe and they delivered it and it's on like artisanal bub <laughs> and grandma's bread. And he's like, no fucking no way. way. You need like no trashy white bread for fairy oh, yeah. bread. Yeah,
1: white bread. Yeah, you've, you've got to. But my point was that people who make fairy bread probably don't seem very angry to me. Yeah, they it don't feel. It's too happy. It's far too happy a bread to be, you know, made by someone with angry hands.
0: Now, fairy bread for those who haven't listened to the Alicia oh, yeah, we, we and probably... Ben Lee interviews—hard-hitting interviews that we do on this program. <laughs> it's white bread with butter and sprinkles on top, and they call them like tens and hundreds, or hundreds and thousands, or some shit. That's yeah. rainbow sprinkles. But the fancy kind that I got had like was like bub and grandma's bread uh, which is great and then mars marscapone cheese marscapone uh, like ah and then like organic homemade sprinkles and ben lee yeah. almost threw his computer yeah, out the window yeah that sounds fake. he that said no fake. he was like what
1: I mean, I'm all for. I don't want to be one of those people like I like. Uh, it's not Anthony Bourdain, but it's just like that kind of person that's like, oh, hipster bullshit. It's like sometimes that stuff is really fucking good. It is really good. I And shout know, out to
0: Bob and Grandma's bread because you people do dope shit.
1: Yeah, but it it's also just like you don't have to, like, you don't have to artisanalize it, you know, yes. to make it good. And if you're going to, it better be great, you know. But um, are we are we wandering too far afield um by talking about? Nah. Koala, Koala, media and, uh, and
0: <laughs> no, flavor. the Koala media is ultimately what I wanted to get to. Okay. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what this is a real high low mix. This, this, this show is a real high low mix, us. which is yeah. us, which is us. It's like, yeah. uh, and that's oh, my, my fondest wish for people who listen to this show. Well, this isn't normal, is that. Uh, they come to feel that whatever their version of normal is, is Mm. at some point on some episode reflected and they feel less alone. Mm. I just want them to feel less alone because listening to other people's conversations, reading, watching films, whatever it may be, like through what I will loosely call art, um, that's how in in isolation, uh, self-imposed isolation as an agoraphobe when I was younger, Uh, that is what made me feel less alone. And it is what ultimately helped me to ask for help and to believe that there was a world beyond my studio apartment where I was pissing in jars and throwing them under my bed because I was afraid to go into my bathroom. Like that level of Mm. mental illness in the depths of despair. It was the Mm. idea that there was a world out there with people who could maybe love me and understand me and vice versa, that, that kept me going. And so uh, that ultimately is the goal. If people listen to this and somebody's like, I don't get any of this, and then we get to koala media puns, and they're <laughs> like, ah, "Ah, my sense of humor, I like it. That's right. fucking great. If that keeps them going for another minute, dope. Or, happy. Aroused. or yeah. aroused. If you get aroused. Yeah. And again, I cannot tell you enough how important koala consent is to me koala consent very important
1: i'm glad you really are i'm glad you're really making a point of that this is a
0: consent a koala consent specifically koala consent because that doesn't get talked about enough
1: Ever actually, I don't think in the history of koalas, probably. Yeah,
0: fairy bread koala consent. Eventually, I'm gonna be have to go to Australia to address all these issues.
1: (laughs) You're going to, yeah. I think that that's a good idea. I, I mean, I think it's like the you know making people feel less lonely in what is normal for them. I mean, people don't know that it's normal, right? Like they they or they don't maybe not normal is not the right word, but they don't know that it's okay to have the interests that they have. I mean, Mm -hmm. I... I was always so interested in sex and fucking and I never understood why it was something that we couldn't talk about, you know, Um, and I was always interested in literature and the occult and philosophy and all that. And all those things, everything I was interested in was stifled because I grew up somewhere where it was this very, very narrow um, idea of what you could be interested in and what you could talk about. And so...
0: We grew I, up in you know, really similar settings. We I did, think.
1: we did, yeah, like literally sure.
0: geographically quite close to one another, but yeah. um, also within, you know, within two hours or within an hour and a half of some major cosmopolitan cities with art and all this stuff. But also like in the country, country co- like you know it, it was. Yeah, it's. I mean, in some ways, I would. I think it probably helps you and I to be able to understand the mentality that some people come with
1: Uh, uh uh-huh well definitely like you know i mean I'm sure for you too, but I grew up just around tons of white supremacists, mm-hmm. right? So that was like, it was just my, there, you know, where I grew up and on right near the Pennsylvania-Jersey border was like the highest concentration of like neo-Nazi skinheads. Like, yeah, in, in, in the in '90s,
0: there, there was some uh, scholarship done around specifically the area that, oddly enough, that broadly speaking, that yeah. that that we grew up in, but especially on the Pennsylvania side, on um, Pennsylvania had a. a, a big, like, white supremacist, um, you know, yes, KKK, but not necessarily, uh, The key, you know, KKK is a pretty big brand, as it yeah, were. Yeah, a, yeah. That's a heritage brand in the white supremacist world. It's like Cheerios, <laughs> white supremacy. Um, there are plenty of splinter factions and, and the right. um, neo-Nazi skinhead stuff, people who won't call themselves neo-Nazis, but they are white The kind of shit that you, that, that the people wide broadly in america saw in films like american history x
1: oh totally totally. and that
0: is is not just confined to the south that's the biggest lie the north ever told itself
1: oh totally i and i i mean just you know not to defend those people obviously but also in some ways to express like that gave me a big understanding of like you know events i remember when Mm -hmm. like when trump first got elected and people were like people are drawing swastikas on kids lockers in school and i was like wait, was there a time when people didn't do that? Like, I was I was genuinely shocked that that had gone away because that was my experience growing up. I was like, oh, this is like, that's what it is in the U.S., you know? And so um, I guess I, you know, I was maybe a little wrong about what other people had been experiencing or not experiencing, but it really showed me, you know, the ways in which people who are conservative or just, or Nazis, <laughs> like <clears throat> a lot of them are you know, cause I, I was a kid. So a lot of the kids around me who I hung out with were neo-Nazis cause I was in a punk rock and they were into punk rock and they didn't know that I was gay. They did know that I was Syrian and they would tease me about it. And sometimes there would be a threat that maybe they would kill me. So that was always sort of fun. Um, but, but it was like, well, this I, isn't normal, except it was for your, <laughs>
0: for you growing up. That was right. normal. That totally. was your normal.
1: And and so I saw them, like, you know, we, we grew up, it's just like the most boring place in the world. Like we were talking about before, there's no sense of meaning. There's no support for culture. There's no support for understanding the arts. You have to seek it all out on your own. And like, even if I had the internet back then, it still would have like, I wouldn't have known where to go or where to look because nobody's directing me. Nobody's informing me. Nobody's helping cultivate that in my life. And so the kids around me, it's like they develop this uh, attraction to white power, epic, mythic narratives of, you know, white genocide and all that kind of stuff. And it's because they have no meaning or value in their lives. And so then they're preyed upon by the actual organizer, real Nazi skinheads who have like stockpiled weapons and like Nazi magazines and Nazi music, and they bring them into that fold. And so like when i'm looking at events now just like you were saying it helps us understand the the world a bit i'm like okay so many people that are engaged not 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 the cops and not the um not the stuff that's going on in minnesota and other cities right now but when when i was looking especially at the the protesters with you know protesting the state house and wearing masks and all that kind of stuff i just thought like a lot of these people just have no sense of value or meaning in their lives. So they found this narrative and they're being directly exploited by the people who are the real like weapons carrying crazy violent, like Nazis. And so, um, you know, it really showed me growing up in that place and maybe you too, like how important having value and meaning and cultivation of, arts and creativity and, you know, and and the the ability to care about and talk about the things that are important to you are because otherwise something will fill that vacuum and you will be preyed upon, you know, Mm -hmm. by people who want to like get into that void and, you know, seize it and fill it with their, you know, poison.
0: If you are told or get, get the information, get the message at some point that your life has value and meaning and that Um, for your life to have meaning you don't need somebody else's life to not have meaning like Uh if you get the message I can have value and meaning I can be of service in the world and that can be fulfilling for me and other people if you get that message at some point in time and it's not your joy your success is not contingent upon your knee being on somebody else's neck like or other people failing, uh, that that's a good thing. It's a good thing if you are given the the notion that you can find meaning, that you can derive meaning, and it does not have to come from shitting on somebody else or hurting somebody else. And you're right if you're if you don't have that, um, or or if you are taught. That the only meaning you can have is from shitting on other people, hurting other people. And I don't mean consensual scat play. Thank you. We're very inclusive on this podcast. I mean, metaphorically, <laughs> shitting on people. <laughs> Got to let the community know they're that, it's that's okay. Good. That's
1: good that you added
0: that. Thank you. Know. you. Thank you. But, you know, if, if, if you... And it's not just as simple as, let's make sure they have jobs it's not just that although that helps (laughs) although it helps to be because it, it is a lie that all of the people who voted for trump or who are the type of folks who would storm a state capital that all these white people are poor that's not the truth either but they don't have meaning right and depth and that's not about reading books. It's not about being great at right. school. It's not about any of that fucking shit. It's like your fucking life is, is worth more than than douchebags are telling you. You're, these people are risking their health as well as the health of others because they have been sold the notion and they have swallowed it whole that to show up with a gun that they wasted money on at the state capitol is in uh-huh. some way going to make them special, make them better.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, two things about that. One is like, you know, there's something good about what they're doing, like, which is a sense, which is sen- like, okay, the government's telling us to do shit that we don't necessarily want to do. And we don't feel completely in touch with what they're telling us. So we're going to fight against that. But there's no bearing on what that's supposed to look like, what that means, what that whatever. Because like, you know, the leftist progressive notion of the state is that we need to question it and challenge it. Like that's a leftist agenda. But, the, but, but then these people have this, this small notion of that where they want to mm. get into that narrative and do something about it. Again, they're sucked into this other structure, which is terrible. When it comes to like cops and police it's like you know it, it's the same thing with like my friend mike preisner who was in the military in the iraq war and he was like don't thank me for my service thank me because i left you know mm. like thank me thank me because he's now a, an anti-military activist that he organizes with people who are in the military because he saw how they were uh, abused and exploited and like, my grandpa became do.
0: anti-military after
1: world war ii Right, right. So that's, <laughs> he would have loved this fella. Yeah, I mean, it's, so that's the, these are the narratives. It's like, like if you know, like if your idea as a cop. You know, is like that you have some sort of station in the world, that you have some sort of meaning or power. Like, the thing to do is to walk away. Like, if like it's not good for your health, it's not good for anybody else's health to be a police officer at this point. Like, it's not helping anybody. It's not protecting order or serving peace. So, like, the thing that you do is you say, "I'm quitting," and I'm going to encourage everybody else to quit, or encourage resistance, or we're going to try to dissolve like the things that we're supposed to you know expected to do i you know i i i uh, had this guy on my show alex vitale who wrote a really great book called the end of policing and he um is an anti-police activist and scholar he teaches at cuny and he you know he just says like look like the police are constantly being given more to do More and more and more and more. And what they should be doing is like receiving less and less and less and less to do and less and less and less money and not doing all kinds of... Uh, procedural like overhauls and watch watching them you know putting body cams on them and all this kind of stuff because none of that actually works what they should be doing is losing their responsibilities because they're overwhelmed by their responsibilities and every single one of them they're ordered to take care of and they are hooked into with a sense of purpose and that's not helping anybody so i think like with people in the military as with the police as with any it's like when you have that moment of recognition you walk You know, you walk away from it. And I know that people have done that. I you know, I know people who have done it. And so and and the kind of actual meaning of fulfillment that gives when you decide to divest. You know, it's not just about gaining more, having more, seizing power, but actually about walking away from it. You know, and
0: by the way, the skill set that you have learned in that job can be put to use. Elsewhere, in other jobs. I mean, there are plenty of places, and I know this may sound far too easy to somebody who's listening and who's like, yeah, but I have union protection, my whole social network is cops, and I need my pension. Like, I understand that. I'm just presenting another point of view, uh, which is that I know people who have made so much more fucking money in in other industries where they were specifically either recruited or hired because Mm -hmm. they had um, a background in law enforcement. And these aren't even necessarily law enforcement jobs. So I'm just presenting that idea, and I know it sounds easy for me to say, but there are some skills you've learned and some shit that you've seen that you want to unlearn that could be put to use in a way that's that's more fulfilling to you might even be more fulfilling economically quite frankly in a practical sense but that may in the long run take less of a toll on your body your mind your soul that may lead to increased uh income perhaps and also may lead to a greater sense of value and you know a lot of people who Enter the military and who enter law enforcement really do believe that they are going to be of service and to serve and protect. And Mm -hmm. some of them have that experience, but some of them don't. And if you don't, it's if you, whatever your job is, if you don't have the experience that was sold to you and you feel out of step and you feel strange and you feel like rather than trying to fit yourself into that mold, fuck it. This goes for school teachers too. I was one in the public school system. If it turns out that that is not for you, you may find that you can be of service and be much happier, even if the other people in your life tell you, no, you got to stay, bro. You got to stay.
1: Right. It's not a
0: failure to leave and to seek something else.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's why. So I'm going to say something that's like a little bit of a boast, but it's just something that happened. And I think it's, valuable to talk about like, so there was this guy who was an ice officer and he was talking to somebody on another podcast. And he said that he quit his job because of listening to me on the podcast. Wow. That's not a boast. That's just facts. That's awesome. The reason why I bring it up is what you're making me think about. Is like, he said, and so it's to his credit, he made the decision, right? But he said that he, did that because he heard that somebody was just like, I'm just going to be a porn star. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do that, right? So, like, it was him hearing someone, in this case it was me, but it could have been anybody who had done this, speak about I'm going to do the things in my life that I want to do, right? So because what you're talking about, and, and that gave him the strength to leave. So what you're talking about is, like, people buying into narratives that are prepackaged for them and then finding out that those narratives are fake. And in mm-hmm. many cases, especially with police officers, violent um, and harm other people. But like artists, people who are artists decide to create their own narrative. Right. And so this is like the real power, I think, of not just uh, like creativity, but actually deciding I'm going to do what I want. And this is something that artists they forget all the time. So they fall into this like trap of, you know, I mean, you live in LA, so you know how it is. It's like, well, I had this conversation with so-and-so who's like, you know, the head of Wrigley's gum. And like, they said, they're going to let me put my song in their commercial and all that. Like, it's all good to make a living. It's really important to, of course, do the things that you need to do to survive and hustle the system that you're in. But it's really important to create your own narrative by Pursuing the things that you actually care about and that you actually love, and that are not about compromising as a hustle to the system, because what you're showing is that the narrative of meaning is up to each and every person. And when you do that, it presents the possibility for people who are stuck in these other narratives to be emboldened, to have some kind of courage, and to infuse them with a kind of spirit of uh, refusal and being able to walk away from the power of those narratives that they're stuck in, because. Most people, there are some evil people in the world, but most people are not evil. Most mm-hmm. people are in evil. And when people can walk out from being in evil and walk out of that, it's almost always because they've discovered or decided upon creating their own narrative, you know. That's beautiful. That's
0: beautifully said. If you're listening and you're in a, in a career path, maybe you're still employed. Um, I am. I feel very fortunate, knock on wood, to be but I know a lot of you are furloughed or have been let go or what have you. Um, but regardless, if you're if you're on a career track and look, <laughs> if you love being a cop and that's what gets you up every day and it's the joy of your life and it's your passion from childhood, you're going to do what you're going to do. <laughs> me saying, hey, there's other options is not going to fire you up. Uh, but if you're listening and whatever your job is, And, you know, I was the third generation in my family to be a teacher. And there was a lot of pride in that and a lot of security. Which is an illusion, of course, but the illusion of security in that you work, you know, you public school teacher, you have certain steps, you're in a state with a strong union, you do your thing, you don't get fired unless you really fuck up because you got the union behind you, and also because the school doesn't want the smoke of dealing with they don't want all the bullshit of dealing with um with with bad publicity and parents and stuff so they'll shuffle you to another. And we see it all the time, right? Bad teachers, abusive teachers. Uh, teachers who, uh, I know somebody who was um, molested by a teacher. I know somebody who works in the school system where it happened. That teacher is still teaching. They got
1: shuffled to a different oh. high school. I was so, kicked in the stomach by a teacher. I was I was told Jesus. by another teacher that he would strangle me to death in front of the class. Like, yeah, I'm familiar with <laughs> I, with, both, I mean, that's something, yeah, yeah. No,
0: that's, these are, wait, first of all, I'm very sorry that happened to you. Second of all, absolutely <laughs> standard operating procedure. Absolutely. Yeah, and so totally. I was, I was in, you know, the public school system and I didn't leave because I thought, wow, I have a lot of philosophical differences. Just something didn't sit right. I was like, something's not right. I'm not supposed to be here. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening and it's not like you're having some big macro thought about why it's not great for you to be in the organization you're in you're just thinking this career it doesn't sit right with me there's something in my gut that says no it is mm-hmm. perfectly okay to say you know what i'm going to walk away To take work that isn't your life's passion. To take Mm -hmm. work to take whatever work you can find that feels okay for now and to figure out what else you want to do to make your art to uh, start a sports league on the weekends that's socially distant. To do whatever the fuck like gives you some joy while you figure it out. That's okay because if if your gut is telling you something is not right here Mm -hmm, you don't mm -hmm. have to write a paper about it. You don't have to you know come on this podcast and and talk with us about it since I've, I've decided Connor now is was on the podcast all the time. Uh, but like, <laughs> it, it's okay. You can just go, fuck, my gut is telling me, ooh, something's mm-hmm. wrong. You know, I had a friend who said to me once, the, 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 I said, why do I have this gut feeling? I'm not supposed to go out with this person. They're so nice. They're so handsome. They're this, that. And this friend said, Sarah, the gut feeling is the reason. Don't worry about it. And I realized <laughs> if, if later on I realized, oh, my, my gut it's fucked up from trauma or abuse or whatever. That's fine too. Go with your gut. Uh There's uh something, uh it's your second brain. It's telling you something. There's other shit out there. You could be of use in other ways. You can be of service in other ways.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think it's like, when you have that gut feeling, you can ask yourself, right? Like you can, like you can have the gut feeling and you can use that as the prompt to just be like, okay, I'm going to ask now, you know, I'm going to ask who I am inside. So It's like going with your gut can mean like, yeah, turning away from this or that. Or it can mean if you you have so much doubt and anxiety around your gut that you can just ask yourself, you know, like really get still because you know, you know. I mean, that's the thing that's really interesting is people know. And I also think it's like something else to consider is, (laughs) you know, since so many people are still in, you know, lockdown conditions, um you know everybody's like putting out this thing that's like, it's okay to do nothing. It's okay to do nothing, you know, like just garden and and make sourdough and all that. It makes me mad because I think that's not nothing. That's the somethingness of life. Like that's the real shit. The job is the fucking nothing. The job is the abyss, like the void that you throw yourself into every day that destroys and drains your soul. Because even if you like your job, you're still stuck in a non-consensual wage labor relationship that says work or die or sometimes work and die Mm -hmm. so the stuff that you do when you're at home that you are like well i'm going to read a book i'm going to read this novel i'm going to call my friends i'm going to you know and i know like even these are designating in some cases instances of privilege but okay i'm going to meditate i'm going to go take a walk i'm going to go you know like look at the stray cats in the backyard which is a lot of those in ireland but you just like that's the something so like ask yourself that question, like, what what, the things that I've been calling nothing all this time? Are they not the something? Are they not the fulfilling thing? And wouldn't I like to make that into my life? And I think we have this tremendous opportunity right now, this huge opportunity. There's this guy, um, Friedhoff Bergman, who, he went to Detroit right after, like, or right around Detroit, it just like totally collapsed so years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And he saw, you know, like, the massive amounts of unemployment there they were selling houses for like double digits at a certain point in detroit just crazy people are doing community gardening all this and so he said you know i'm just going to ask these people not what they want to do for a job like that's the old way what i want to say to them is like what would you like to contribute to the world with your being you know, mm. and like, let's build our lives around that rather than just sort of jumping back into this economy of job. And I think we all have the opportunity to do that right now. Even if like, once everything kind of lifts, you go back to, you know, Wells Fargo or whatever the fuck, you, you know, your, your, your job is that you don't like, we still have the opportunity to ask ourselves that question right now, which is, what do I want my day to look like? And I think that that for me is like one of the starts of organizing, what I want my day to look like. Because once you start filling it with content and, and stop being practical about it, it leads you into this really beautiful place. And then you can say, all right, I'm going to try to make it that. And obviously, there are also all kinds of world conditions that are out of our hands. That are, but that's always true. That's always true. So it doesn't change the feel. It doesn't change the fact that you need to ask yourself that question. What do you want your day to look like? I I got it, you know. Tell me like, what it is. Seriously, yeah. Um, just jerking off. No, I. Um, <laughs> that's, I a, <laughs> that's an important part. That's an important part. I, I mean, Are that it? is a part of my day, but yeah. I mean, like I I love, you know. I won't, I not just like order my day, but like I love to. I love reading. I love writing. I love talking to people. I love sex. I love being outside. I love eating good food, you know. I love doing meditation and spiritual exercises, and sometimes a combination of those kinds of things, like tai chi and like. So basically, it's like I decided when I was in high school that I would never do anything that I didn't want to do from my, for my life. And while of course I make compromises along the way, that's largely been what. That's largely been my compass, you know, mm. and I realized that the three things that I love in life are books, fucking, and conversation. So I'm going to make those my life, you know, so that's what I do, right? Novels. I have conversations with people on my show. I, you know, was a porn star for a while. Um, I'm laughing as I say that. Because you just I was,
0: blushed when you said I was a porn well, star do you know for why a while, because which is adorable.
1: I was talking with my friend the other day and he was telling me how he was pitching something for a production company, this like TV show he's working on. And he was like saying all the things he had accomplished in his life, you know, to like validate why you should trust me while he's in the room with these producers. And he's like, it was so weird to hear myself say all these things that I did, you know, and they were true. And I was like, I used to say that all the time. do you know how weird it is for 10 years of your life to say, I'm an international sex symbol and is actually a fact like that is one of the weirdest things (laughs) in the world. So I was just thinking about that. And that's why I giggled when I said I was a porn star, Like like it's just that disconnect, you know, it's
0: funny because it's been funny sometimes when like, I've, I don't know, we've like conversed publicly online or like we've tagged each other in something or whatever. And, um, it is really funny to have like, you know, guy friends of mine then like DM me and be like, Oh my God, you know him. And I'm like, Oh yeah, (laughs) you, you jerked off to my friend. Like, cause I like, Oh yeah. It's like, it's, I'm not saying it's the same as somebody being like, um, Oh, I go to the grocery store where your friend works or something. It's not the same thing, but it is interesting. Like, oh yeah, my friend, you've made an intimate mm. connection in your own mind. That's one-sided really. Cause my friend uh, doesn't uh, know you, but they've, it, it is, it is analogous. Uh, honestly, it's analogous to any of my friends in entertainment who are seen, right. Who are seen and known right. and somebody makes a emotional connection, but it's specific because it's, it's like um, they might not post publicly, like "Oh my god, I love him." Like they do if I'm like "Happy <laughs> right. birthday, Yvonne Orgy" or something like that, you know. Right, but right. when it's it's they'll, they're like it's so. And so then I learned something about my friend's sexual preferences or habits. Right. I'm like, oh okay, uh, it is. Yeah, that's gotta be. I mean, what a space to be in and like. What a f- your life is not boring. It's not boring. I'm listening to a book right now. Um, let me make sure I have the title correct. It is called uh, American Radicals. Mm. And it's a delightful book. I recommend it to uh, humans who are listening. It's really interesting, and it's about it's about the history of of radicalism and activism in the United States. Mm. and it so far mm. at least it seems to take a pretty interesting about- perspective. Uh, Holly Jackson, I believe. Okay. Oh, and it's, it's very interesting. It's very accessible and it, it, um, but you know, your life, when the story of your life is written, uh, and, and tales of you are recounted, like it's not going to be boring. Your Wikipedia entry, not
1: boring. <laughs> in some ways it's, it's totally boring from the outside. Like when I was in porn for like three years, um, and I had had some essays that I wrote can't come out too. And I was doing some activism. I had this like production company asked to, uh, make a documentary right about me. So I've like, as you're noticing, I've had a lot of these like weird interactions that I've just kind of refused to so, like, uh, like this, they were like, wow, we'd love to like film. And I was like, well, I mean, good luck guys. Like what you're going to be filming all day is me sitting in the window of Pete's coffee, uh, on, you know, Castro street or whatever, uh, uh, or Market Street, like, reading a book. Like, that's all I do all day. Like, outwardly, it's completely boring, except that I do these, you know, movies or whatever. So, like, in some ways, like, there's no dramatic outward stuff. There is some dramatic outward stuff. I mean, I'm not going to lie. But, like, in other ways, it's quite boring. Like, I'm not climbing a mountain or... um Or whatever, like, I don't know what other things You have a really rich internal
0: world. You have a lot of what you do is, I mean, I feel like I spend some of my happiest moments are just by myself imagining or listening to an audio book or something like Mm -hmm. that. It's not, Mm -hmm. I look at what some people do and the way they perform their lives online. And we all perform our lives online in some sense. But um, I'm like, wow, you really, you go to a lot of parties. Look at that. You dance. (laughs) like You really, whoo, you know, like. What's that like? You know, being around people so much, and this is before Quark Quar, Uh But <laughs> this, in some way, Quark Quar, uh is um, for me has just been like pretty similar to mm. my chosen form of existence, except that mm-hmm. I've realized, oh, I really want a garden, and and outside is important to me, and and uh, so is having sex. Not that I didn't know that already, but like all the things that you <laughs> listed are pretty much you know, the, for your ideal day, what you'd like that to look like. Same year. That's, that's my thing.
1: I think it's really beautiful that a lot of people have discovered that the quarantine conditions are working for them. Like, obviously not everybody, you know, like I'm not, I'm not, this isn't a generalization, but I'm saying where I do find that it, it makes me think hmm, like all that difficulty that, a lot of us have dealt with all our lives like trying to be part of culture that demands that you do shit when like really and and i know you experience this like what really it's like well the, the 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 doing is like within me like the doing is my interest and the things i pay attention to and i think about and i love and like you know the the release of the pressure to do and the sort of askance yeah. view, you know, like what, like, you don't want to go to a party. You know, I remember when I lived in LA and people, someone was like, Oh, like, I'm going to, he, he was like, I'm going to share house. Do you want to come? And I was like, I mean, like, cause there was a party at her house. And he was like telling me all the celebrities that would, would be there. And I was like, I really don't like, I don't like, Maybe I would go to dinner with her. Like, that'd be fucking great. But like, I don't want to go to a party. Like, I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't matter who's there. And like, your weird listing of this, like, name by name to try to get me more enticed is actually just making me be like, well, that's someone I'm going to talk to for five minutes. Like that feels fucking weird. I know. know?
0: I I would like to have a deeper conversation or be able to sit and listen to somebody. It's not a, it's not a rejection of share. (laughs) It's it's that, Oh, okay. I'll see somebody and and our whole at a a party, even conversations can feel like a performance because everybody is, people can listen. And so it's, I respect that a lot of people are having trouble because they love going to clubs, they love dancing. That's how they see their friends. They love going yeah. to brunch with the guys or what have you. But
1: Yeah, but you know what? Like they can have that confrontation. That's okay. Now. Like we've had that confrontation, <laughs> yes, all the lodge, true. right?
0: Like, like now you gotta sit with your ass and, and be alone. How do you feel? Exactly.
1: About that? Like asking me to play sports, like fuck off. Like asking me to like Go, like, go out and get drunk all the time. Like, I'm not into it. So, like, now you guys get to have that confrontation, you know? And it's, you know, obviously, like, again, I'm keenly aware of, like, the difficulties of talking about this when, in fact, like, these conditions are brought on by great suffering and fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And yet, also, this is an aspect of it that's worth talking about, you know? Um, I, There is that really funny video of John Early, and I forget... Um, his collaborator's name. Kate Verland? Jean- yeah, yes, yes, yes. She's so funny.
0: I love the um, video where they talk about how they went to Paris, and they're like, "Oh, Paris is Paris." So that's from, like uh. five years ago. They're so great because a lot of what they do is making fun of pretension.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, they have this new video that's like, it's them like whispering. They're on Zoom, but they're whispering. He's like, "How are you?" And and she's like, "Actually, never better." <laughs> <You know? laughs> And it's so lame and shitty, and so I don't want to come across that way, even though I know I partially am. Um, and no, I, know wait, that wait, I no. find that video really People funny because it's me to some extent. But I also do think that like these are aspects that are worth talking about. You know, when we talk about what's we're constantly non-essential, 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 like that's a buzzword right now, and you know, um, it, it is interesting to see what that actually means in each of our lives. You know, rather than just the social sphere. What does that mean? What is non-essential to me? What's essential to me? It's a time to discover some of that. If you are a healthcare
0: worker and people keep calling you a hero and you're like, fuck it, I want to quit, I understand. If you Uh decide that you no longer want to be deemed essential because the burden of being essential is too fucking much and you're listening to this podcast driving to and from your shift and you're fucking exhausted, it is not a betrayal of your path going back to something we talked about earlier. If you decide, you know what? I think I'm going to make a career shift. That's okay too.
1: And also like, (laughs) this is kind of a controversial thing to say, but like if you're, a woman a trans person a gay person a black person who has had a really horrible and shitty experiences with doctors and nurses and like you've been discriminated against because of your body and your identity which happens so many times or you've been condemned to a life of pain because a misstep from some shitty doctor or uh, a doctor working with their hmo or whatever like it might be really hard for you to celebrate the heroes of the healthcare world because mm-hmm. they fucked you up and so I, like it's like that kind of stuff too. Like maybe people are feeling isolated by these conversations of like essential and heroes and all that kind of like these grand narratives that exclude people in ways that can be quite painful, quite alienating and isolating. So I just think it's like, it's worth talking about that stuff too. If like there's something that doesn't read right to you, like feel free to, well, maybe you don't have a lot of people to discuss it with, but know that there are a lot of people that are thinking along the same lines as you as well. And And the same goes for, You know, yeah, if you're a nurse and you fucking hate your job and you, like, are being exploited by your employer and, like, some asshole, like, other nurse is grabbing your ass or whatever the hell it is, like, and you don't want to be in that situation, but the sense of duty is, like, overwhelming right now, like, you know, know that there are other people there, you know, as mm-hmm. well. Who, If, you're,
0: if your union yeah. doesn't have your back, if your co-workers don't have your back, if your family doesn't have your back, or if you are working in the managed care environment or wherever the fuck you're doing and you're being overworked and underpaid or whatever, bottom line, if, the, if, if your career of choice is not bringing you joy and it's stressing you out and yeah. you find yourself doing things to numb out, And just know, and at the same time, you're being labeled a hero. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. From people who have no idea what you go through, it's okay to be pissed. It's okay to want to tell people to fuck off. And it's also okay to consider if you would like to use your skills in a different way in future. Like, it's always okay to divorce yourself from the narrative to which you got married when you were 18 or 22 or 30 when you decided this this is my thing yes it it may have been your thing then it's all right if during this time whatever your deal is you're looking at um the choices you've made or what's been visited upon you and you're thinking uh no i would like to go on to do something else (laughs)
1: I feel like we're like verging on like a Maggie S step like spoken word like rant about it like if (laughs) if you're If you're a manatee who doesn't like seagrass and despises the water, if you're a flame who can't dance upon the wick any longer and you are a parachute that wants to fall to earth without a human attached to it. Speak on it. it. Speak on
0: it. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, your dream may be to be, you may find joy in uh, being uh, an academic researcher uh, uh, in Ireland, uh, talking about paranormal stuff or a, uh, digital marketing flunky at a nonprofit who types a lot all day. Who the fuck knows? Or you may be like, that sounds like garbage. I love my fucking job. These people suck. Or you may not have those jobs In which at case, all. why the fuck are you
1: listening to this? Why
0: podcast? are you listening to this podcast, Patreon.com slash Sarah Ben and Send me some money. Send me some money. <laughs> um but yeah, like it's it's uh I don't know there I have no I have no grand summarization summary thing to say, except that like I have to go to the bathroom, and my friend's coming over because we've decided to break choir together. This time together. in the bathroom,
1: I hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm taking Thank a you. shit
0: right now. Thank um, you. But uh, yeah, no, I've, I've warmth. My, I have a friend who I've decided to break choir with. It's very exciting. Mm-hmm.
1: Which That's is good. like,
0: I'm like, oh, we're gonna hug.
1: That's great. We've my like- neighbor hugged me today, and it was the first hug I've had in three months, and it was like. MDMA, like neighbor time. It was insane. I just, like, I I felt like, like, I felt like my life was a seal song. Like, it was just like all over me. Speaking
0: of MDMA, I really hope I don't fuck my friend because.
1: I haven't. Hugged, I haven't. Uh, I haven't hugged anybody. Really in, is a hope that's a that's a. I mean, I get why it can be a hope in this time right now, but it's also a decision.
0: No, that's true. No, I do have control over that. I said that like a true <laughs> fucking addict. I hope I don't get wasted, Sarah. Do you know you have a choice? Oh, I do. Time for a meeting. Uh, but well, i have
1: just I'm putting this cocaine up to my nose. Let's see what happens.
0: Just gonna throw out there. For people in bodies that produce oxytocin, which I think might be all people, I don't well, know. I
1: think yeah, so yeah, yeah, I think it's
0: like all people. But but bitches, my bitches. Let me make it real basic, real basic. Nineties. <laughs> Remember the podcasts in the nineties? People said bitch and didn't question it. Is there podcasts in the nineties? No, mean, I'm like, lying. Is- I'm totally uh, lying. No, uh, I'm making. A, I'm making a stupid joke.
1: Sorry. You just, it's okay. I, I, do, I, I would like to know what the first podcast was, actually. I don't know.
0: It was some, it, the first podcast, well, it's it's actually in a cave in
1: France. Um, and <laughs>
0: There's, like, hieroglyphs
1: it was, on the wall. It was called This Doesn't Look Like a Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> That's so. Your scholarship
0: is showing. It's so uh, great. Uh, uh, Just, you know, be careful who you hug because you might have consensual sex with that human koala because <laughs> there's a lot of bonding that happens. Uh, and you know what? That's fine if it's consensual human sex with a koala, but like with a human koala, not a. All right. You know what? Ultimately, don't 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 sexually assault a koala is what I want to come. No animals. Thank Let you. all your sex Thank you. be consensual with adult human beings. That's the takeaway from this podcast episode. And
1: Canadians aren't real.
0: Canadians aren't real. This is what yeah. we've come to. Ben Lee is great. Canadians aren't real. Uh, Fairy Bread's great. Do not assault a koala. Uh,
1: John Early and Caperland are funny. John
0: Early and Caperland are funny. Um, I've had a
1: boner this whole time and you didn't know it and I probably shouldn't have said that.
0: I've had a a, a moist undercarriage. That's right. So so many mm. people just threw up. A moist undercarriage the whole time. Um Why would a,
1: they throw up hearing about your moist undercarriage? Well, but
0: moist is like a weird that that's a very oh, it doesn't actually bother word. me. I
1: have another word that bothers me, but I'm not gonna say it because then people will say it to me all the time. So Okay. All right, don't say
0: it. No, um, I won't say it. Uh Candy you know, Man really no no wait no. <laughs> it's okay to quit your job as a cop in fact it's a great idea um mm. you can quit whatever your job is if you need to quit and find other work and that's possible for you hey mm-hmm. consider it hand sanitizer why not masks good um what else what other lessons reading sometimes is fundamental. when you wear a mask
1: you look like dr giggles
0: yeah no that's true If you protest, I would encourage you to wear a generic mask that is um, not like colorful and adorable because...
1: Or like that wolf mask that Mark Duplass wore in...
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> nobody nobody will remember that. Nobody will be like, all right, this was his build. This was how he walked. This is his skin <laughs> color
1: and crazy. No, just, right, exactly. They'll just be like, oh, it's Mark Duplass. So like and it's Mark Duplass. And he's got kids. Arrested.
0: He's got kids. You don't want him and kid. You know, he got kids. He's got kids. You don't, we don't want to get Mark arrested. Let's so. just go arrest his brother. <laughs> <laughs> not Also not Jay. Also has kids. Let's not arrest the Duplass brothers unless... They kidnap a koala. Oh. That's not okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm wearing a robe with no underpants. We've established that. I'm just trying to get to the takeaways. Uh, I'm is there sing- is there any is there any other
1: yeah? I'm single. Um, be, uh,
0: <laughs> hit me up on Raya. <laughs>
1: Is Raya the celebrity? It's Illuminati Tinder. Somebody on Raya the other day. Also, lavender was one of those as well.
0: Somebody hit me up on Raya, and this is this is what they said. They said, "Hey, Sarah Benincasa, you've got beautiful eyes, hair, and breasts. How are you?" What? I was like, I'm not responding to that. Like, first of all, yes, I do have beautiful eyes, hair, and breasts, but that's gross. First of all, saying breasts. Fuck off, Aaron
1: Eckhart. Get.
0: Get out of here, uh, Brian <laughs> Wilson of the Beach Boys. If Brian Wilson said that, dance was my
1: mom. My mom danced with him once.
0: I would marry him. I she like, didn't Listen. know she didn't
1: know it was him. He gave her a card afterwards, which was that's, so weird. That's so hot. And also, my mom dated Ed Asner, so that's another takeaway.
0: Your mom is killing it with the. White men of a certain age who've made yeah. a lot well, of dead, great choices. So. Oh she's dead. Not All right. she was All killed right.
1: by Ed. <laughs> it's just that Ed Asner cock was just so so <laughs> explosive that she died of bone cancer.
0: <laughs> You're gonna have a paranormal experience where your mother is like, uh, that's correct actually. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> she's gonna appear to me in a dream and say, Well done.
0: Well done. Please put this in. You, you crack paper. the case. Please present this story at a
1: conference. Um,
0: <laughs> rest in peace to your mom, possibly also to Ed Asner, who may or may not be with us anymore. Great oh, actor. Oh, no, he's
1: still alive. He's awesome.
0: Okay, yeah. you're awesome, Ed Asner. I know you're listening to the podcast. Uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, Raya, you you know, if you want... Listen, if you want a friend pass for Raya, just let me know if you ever need it. I have a friend I pass. Like okay. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of, like, Dublin... Yeah, it's in Dublin, I think. It's in all the cities. Yeah, there are the like three go. celebrities
1: here, so it'll be great. It's you, no, it's, it's The
0: Edge, not... and it's Bono.
1: Bono, Sinead O'Connor.
0: Oh, um, you know who I have a crush on? Uh, Glenn Hansard. Glenn Hansard. he's
1: in Dublin. He lives here. Yeah, he's great. He's and a he's great probably musician. Married.
0: Yeah, he's a great musician. If you see him, be like, hey, Sarah Benincaza says, what's up? He'll be like, who, <laughs> who the fuck is that? He's friends with Pete Holmes, actually. Uh, he's friend- you should have Glenn Hansard on your podcast.
1: I asked, but I was refused by his management. Well, that's actually something I would say for people that want to start podcasts. Don't ever ask the gatekeepers. Always yeah, try to the ask person. the person directly because the person who's the the manager, like it's their job to say no. Basically, Correct. it's their job so, to protect. protect. Yeah. And don't be like a crazy maniac when you reach out to the person, you know, and like, don't, you know, like, but anyway, I don't know why I'm getting podcasts. No, you can, if, if
0: they're on social That'll media. That'll be
1: hundreds of dollars for my tip. Thank you. Yeah, seriously. Do you have a Patreon? <laughs> I think you do. I do have a Patreon. Shout Patreon, it out. It's patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib. That is how I do the show and it's how I live really. And so if you like this and you want to listen to the show and we didn't talk about my novel at all. So thanks a lot for the promo. um, It doesn't come, doesn't come out till summer of next year. So it's actually quite all right.
0: Fucking sorry that I didn't promote the two book deals you closed in quarantine,
1: I think. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It's true. Mm, Sorry. 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 Um, next time. Next uh, time. You know what? There's just going to be so many accomplishments by the next time we talk that we're oh, not even going to get to this I want to have you, you know on I mean? this podcast I mean, again. Between both of us. I mean, like 90%, Oh, thank, thank, you both of us. Yeah. thank you
0: for yeah. that. Thank you for that. Also, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to finish my YA book proposal. Um, please have Glenn oh, Hansard it. on the podcast. I feel like this is the relationship I feel like It'll I be would great. have with Glenn Hansard. Um, I mean, this is a very long episode, and I'm thrilled about it. Okay. So, my relationship with Glenn Hansard... Wants. Uh, yeah, but I'm not like foreign, so and they like you're foreign to him. Dated. No, that's true. I am foreign to him. I feel like when answered and I would have a relationship that was like <laughs> a lot of sex, him getting mad, him not being emotionally available, and uh. me being like talking to my friends about it a lot, being like this is upsetting, and then me being like, so like a
1: heterosexual relationship.
0: Yeah. That's what yeah. it would be. Basically. That's what it would be. And I'd yeah, be like, exactly. I can't do this anymore. Glenn Hansard, and he'd be like, That's. And fine. then as soon
1: as you were going to leave, he'd like write a new song, and you'd be like about you, and you'd be like, All right, I'm all in. I'm I'd all be like, in, That's baby.
0: great, Glenn Hansard. That musicians will get you, man. The only musicians I've ever had flirt times with have been <laughs> revealed to be <laughs> highly have, problematic. Really? <laughs> so I'm best. not gonna. I'm not gonna, No, 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 no. But you know, I will simply the guy s-
1: from the Crash Test Dummies.
0: No, I will simply say that my, my, one of my, this is such a fucking Hollywood thing to say, I'm going to say it. My speaking agent, Sean Lon at Collective Speakers, I'm available Mm. to speak uh, (laughs) about various things. Anyway, Sean was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So we decided there's going to, I forget what, he was like joking. He was like, yeah, there's going to be a panel and uh, you're going to be the moderator and it's going to be blank, blank and blank. And they were all musicians. (laughs) Mm. with whom I had had flirtations. Oh my gosh. All got me too'd. And I was like, oh my God. Oh, no. I was like, holy shit. And I didn't date any of these people, but they were all like, and I was like, oh, oh. my God, I didn't even think, put it all together. And I looked at it and I will just say, uh, if you get the opportunity to have a flirtation with somebody and then wake up to like a major news story about them doing bad things. Uh, don't, don't take that opportunity because it's a weird <laughs> experience. It's a strange feeling. And, you know, once it happens enough Ugh. times, like say more than once, much less three times, much less where like your friend and agent of 10 years roasts you about it. You got to look at yourself and say, why am I choosing this? Cause it ain't why just being visited. It's not just being visited upon you at this point uh and i'm not talking about abuse i was not abused by these people i'm saying like if you date a type time and time again, go i don't know why i always like they just find me no they don't just find you
1: <laughs> right
0: no yeah. no no yeah. honey you are picking if you're like these narcissists just find me no 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 honey no 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 <laughs> you you are choosing one time they find you more than once uh you got to look at so that's part of what i'm doing looking at hey Hey, 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 why mm-hmm. am I picking that kind why of situation?
1: The, why do you guys always suck my dick? Uh,
0: yeah. Why do you guys always go down on me for hours and then want to marry me? Ooh. <laughs> Cause, probably because you're an amazing person. That's why, honey. Congrats,
1: the You know, there you go. Well, we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot in this podcast. I think we've really, I think we've really, I've learned everything i think actually
0: i genuinely love you and i know it's performative as fuck to say that on a microphone in front of tens of listeners but i really do i'm so (laughs) fucking glad that i know you at all
1: oh i love you too i mean i i miss you i wish we would have hung out more before i moved but it's always like you're just someone that's so easy that i know like to communicate with i know that i can just get back into it with you you know yeah that's how i feel
0: too like i know i can just pick right up with you and as an introvert who tends to get scared and cancel plans and stay inside anyway um this is is a nice chance Mm. to get to talk to you and hopefully like we will all get to talk to you more uh off air as well but i'm just say, yeah. setting that intention in front of the tens of listeners there's more listeners than that i'm not yeah, sharing yeah.
1: numbers but it's doing fine um <laughs> but me uh, too probably even better than yours yeah I'm no doing honestly great. yes honestly no, yeah, you're i'm really, sure yeah. we are. No, no, you know, the we're hour. both doing great i'm we're doing, doing great. i'm doing really great but yeah
0: I mean, it was like, we're great, but like some of us are doing greater and it's fine. It's fine. You know, that's like a privilege and I acknowledge it. Small G
1: great, capital G great. Yeah. Someone it's like, why
0: are we going to even decide um, <laughs> where can, where can people go to learn yeah. about your podcast and give you money and stuff?
1: So, yeah. So, so like I said before, patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib, it's C-O-N-N-E-R-H-A-B-I-B. Um, it really is like. I'm so grateful to Patreon because you know, especially in this situation right now where people are really uncertain about how much money they're going to have. It's like people have been still signing up and it's like incredible. And I think it's, People really recognizing what has value to them and saying, well, I don't know what's going to happen next month, but I know I have a dollar this month, you know, and that's it's been It's a really cool incredible. form of
0: like, I, I guess, uh, patronage philanthropy. I'm very grateful to yeah. it because obviously it helps me keep the lights on and, and pay engineer Jonathan. But um, also like, it's an acknowledgement that somebody out there thinks that, you know, it's an right. acknowledgement, even if they never write to you, even if they never, if they're like too shy to tell you or something. To just go, oh, this person gave me a dollar, they, they, they don't hate something I did. In fact, they might even like it. Like what a cool feeling. And you can, you can be that. Like I do that for a few artists on Patreon as well, working in different media. And it's cool. Cause I'm like, oh, look, oh, oh I'm a patron of the art, <laughs> right, you know, right, right. with my like and, 10 and, bucks.
1: And you are, you are, you know, at the level that you can be. And, and so, yeah, so there's that. My podcast is Against Everyone with Connor Habib and you can find it on any podcast platform. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, Twitter is just at Connor Habib. That's the only social media I really have. I have an Instagram, but I don't really use it that much. And um, my novel, Hawk Mountain, comes out uh, next year. So you'll have to wait on it. But um, it's very exciting for you to build up all the energy for my extremely dark, um, sad novel uh, <laughs> to come out.
0: And is there a pre order link yet? Probably not. No,
1: not yet. Not yeah. yet. It's but not until like, do. it's not even until August. Like, I just was so excited to. To do the announcement and yeah this is the first time I've this is the first time I've ever talked about it on a podcast so that's <laughs> excited to talk about tell
0: us yeah. for the aspiring authors out there tell us yes. um did you have to write the whole thing first or did you sell it on a proposal?
1: Yes. Okay with novels you generally write the whole thing first unless you already have some books out in which case like maybe a little by for you for you nonfiction you usually write a proposal. So this I wrote the whole thing first and um uh, I already had an agent which was good but I you know so but it you know, it took a while to write novel and not, not actually not that long. I'm a really quick writer, but um it Oof, still took a while. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow.
0: so. This has been awesome. I think you're great. And thank, thank you. I, you I for, think you're great. Oh, thank you for joining me. The bl- Connor Habib, the blushing porn star. That sounds like an 1850s <laughs> porn. It's like a live onstage porn where you're just super demure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks for joining us on this journey, everybody that's listening to. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks,
0: yeah. everybody. Connor Habib is just awesome. Well, I hope that you get to know him online. I hope that you get to read his work. I hope that you get to listen to his podcast. I am here in the City of Angels. We are Tonight, as I'm releasing this, on the third consecutive evening of curfew, I believe, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., a lot of my friends have been kept awake at night by police helicopters, by police shooting rubber bullets at peaceful protesters. I spoke to a friend who has a friend who lost an eyeball during a peaceful protest to a rubber bullet shot by an officer directly into this person's eye. Thank God they were not killed in the process. These are tough times. I want this podcast to be a place of respite and rest, but I also want it to be a place of engagement where we talk about these things because they're important. These are not normal times, and yet they are normal times because this is now and always has been the United States of America. This is something that we can look at and find parallels to in history going all the way back and beyond. So I thank you for being here. I thank you for being in this discourse, for listening, for learning, for sharing your thoughts on social media. We're at um, at well, this isn't normal on Instagram. At Sarah J Benincasa as well on Instagram. I'm at Sarah J Benincasa on Twitter. You can also send me messages through Patreon.com/slash Sarah if you are a Patreon member. Thank you so much to the supporters. Um, if not, you can email me Sarah at sarahbenincasa.com, and of course, you can engage with Connor online. Please be kind. Of course, he's got plenty going on. I really appreciate you being here be good to yourselves, be good to others, get some rest when you can. Thanks a lot.